Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a sprawling episode all about the Southern California city with its palm trees, plastic surgeons, swimming pools, movie stars, and murder. It's the city of earthquakes and actors looking for parts. It's the subject of episode 67. It's Los Angeles. Please join us for a guided tour of Tinseltown. From the movie studios, where they specialize in making movies, about making movies, to the downtown area that can get so quiet at night, you could hear a body drop. Then take a trip back in time to the drive-ins, hot dog stands, palace theaters, and dangerous dames of yesteryear. A time when life was tough, but parking was easier. So, hop a train for the coast. Get discovered. Be the toast of the town. And leave a beautiful corpse. As the Boys and Ghouls podcast wishes you a warm and sunny greeting from Los Angeles. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Dummies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Maybe I should move. Um this drawer yes. is black t-shirts. Oh. This drawer is black t-shirts with pockets. Oh, my God. Just to give you an idea. Wow. That's... Well, you know what? The older I get, the more I realize that I like there to be surprises, but kind of, you like, know... Like in your day? When I've got... In my day, in my life, but like when I've got everything else under control as much as humanly possible. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me feel comfortable to know like, okay, this is when when and where I feed my cats and this is what they eat. And um, I, I cover up with this blanket at night and this sounds so almost insane. But I, like, I, I th- you know what I think it is? Yeah. In this modern world, we have to make so many decisions that I think now I've tried to reduce, like, the amount of decisions I have to make as much as I possibly can or, like, have a set time in which I make those decisions. It's like, I might have explained to you how I watch movies that are on my letterboxed watch list. I wanted a place to sort of log the movies that I'm watching and have a list of movies that I want to watch that wasn't just like with the notes on my phone and so I did some research this one a lot of people use it so I got on but now I have like 200 plus movies on my watch list and it's only going to grow and I thought you know I'll never watch all these movies in my life so how do I decide and I decided to take the decision out of my hands so when I sit down is there a random function no oh. I just count how many movies are in my list and then I use a random number generator on the internet <laughs> and then whatever number that is I count to the number in my thing and if I can 
find it like digitally, um, that's the one I watch. It's time. I'm that is. You let fate decide. I let fate decide. What about mood? Nope. Because here's the thing: if I'm only ever watching things that I'm in the mood for, then I'm going to be limiting myself to like comfort food movies. And I think I like to bend my brain a little. I do the same thing with podcasts. I will make myself in the mornings at night. I get to listen to whatever I want. But in the mornings when I'm getting ready for work and on my way to work, if I'm not on the phone, I listen to podcasts that either a brand new podcast or a new episode I haven't heard before or something like that, because I want to stimulate my brain. Same thing with movies. I want to see stuff that I've never seen. I want to see types of movies I've never seen. Even if it is boring, at least it was an experience and it gave me a new thing to talk about. But right. I take the decision out of my hands. I go on Letterboxd. I randomly choose the movie. I'm it's how I watched that weird-ass Tippi Hedren movie, Roar, with the lions. Oh, yes. Never would have found that otherwise. Well, I found it on Pure Cinema Podcast. Isn't uh, Melanie Griffith also in that? She certainly is. It's her first film role, and she was injured on set. More about she that. She have stitches in her head. More about her later. Um, yeah. Yes? I'm glad that you brought up Letterboxd, because I would like to dedicate this episode 67. My goodness. Wow. Episode 67, Spooky Gab, to, I want to say... <laughs> well, her name on her Instagram account is Sam DeFrancesco, but her right. Instagram handle, and I think also her Twitter handle, is at Goulet. It's G-H-O-U-L-E-T. Goulet. Uh, um, thong song. Um, G-H-O-U-L-E and then three H's. But Sam has been following us for a while on Instagram. We also follow her. She's really fun. She's really cool. And recently, mm-hmm. on Letterboxd, what did she decide to do, Marshall? She has taken, I believe, in order, starting with what's available. Like, if you go the furthest down on our list, down yep. to um, what was a Valentine's episode. It was. Love Boys and Ghoul style. And just made a Letterboxd entry, you might say, because it's just a list of movies with, like, a corresponding, like, their movie poster or, like, video box cover. Yeah, it's a list. Something to represent them. Uh, it's very visual. For not every movie that we cover, but every movie that we even mention. Yeah. If it is name dropped on Boys and Ghouls, it is in it Sam's has been picked letterbox up list. And put into this letterbox list. Now, if it's something that was mentioned in a previous episode, she doesn't double it. That's smart. Right? By the way, if you want to find her on Letterboxd, she is at Ghettonomicon. It's spelled exactly how you think. But yes, her list is called Boys and Ghouls, a podcast list. And it has ballooned and it keeps ballooning. And I can't believe she's can, doing can this. Can you tell what episode she's up to? Um, I'm still ha- like, I'm oh, scrolling, scrolling but it's still like, it's going to keep going. I think there's like 700. Okay. I'm going to say on that one, she's up to the screen movies. <laughs> and some of them, I'm like, when did I mention that movie? I know. Oh, there's some Christmas stuff. That's our second Christmas episode. So I'm guessing she's listening to these episodes and then stopping to write down the films every time we yeah. mention something. And man, oh man, is this satisfying and overwhelming and we really appreciate it. Okay, what's what's the most recent? Gravy, House of the Devil, Eating Raul, Fried Green Tomatoes. That's the cannibal one. How about just, that? Just on and on. Well, it's all there. If you ever want to know... Well, she's still building the list. It's not all there every yet. Every movie... But it, it all will be. I'm just guessing eventually she's just going to be like, ugh, these two. 
<laughs> Stop mentioning films. But still, just a rundown again. Her name is... Well, her name's Sam. Sam. Yeah, and she's a spooky horror fan with a dedication to detail. And man, this list is... It's so cool. And I, I just go look at it and I go, wow, I cannot believe we've talked about so many movies. It's truly a gift. Like, it actually means a lot to me for a lot of reasons. But, like, this is the kind of thing where you hope... When, when we're talking that, I mean, I know plenty of people listen, but you hope that you connect with people in a way, meaning yeah. that what you're saying strikes a chord. I mean, that's what podcasts that I listen to and love do for me. And so all I ever want is for there to be a dialogue, like a conversation with people, with people reaching out and saying, hey, have you seen this movie? Hey, you mentioned this. I feel that way too, or I disagree. Like, that's my favorite thing. So to have someone go like, hey, check out all the movies that you mentioned. It's like looking at it going... I don't remember us talking about that one, but we did. Um, so it's really cool. It's, I, I cannot say how much I appreciate it. It's awesome. So thank you for doing that. Yes, thank you very much. If you have sunshine and beaches, how can that be so hard? And maybe oranges and grapefruit. Growing in your own backyard If you have mountains And the ocean And a great big smiling sky There's very little that is blue here So the blues pass Los Angeles by Marshall Cat Ding dong I'm here to talk to you about California Southern California the Orange Blossom State. I have watched, as you know, because I sent you some of them, so many, like, informational videos about Southern California. Come to LA on Santa Fe Railroads. Yes. And, oh, by the way, like, the ones I watched were all before there was even Disneyland. Yeah. Which I was like, people would still come here. Totally. Just to, like, see stuff. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. Um, so, for some reason, I, I'm having a hard time, like focusing on this episode because my research took me in a zillion directions. It was pretty broad. So broad, but I love it. Well, then again, and uh, hi folks, we're here to talk about Los Angeles specifically because it's a horror movie podcast, Los Angeles and horror films. And we found enough to keep us busy, but at the same time, there's not a ton of horror made that's set in Los Angeles and uses Los Angeles, which is what we wanted to do for our first-time listeners. Hello, we're coming to you from Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, L.A. County, at least. I'm presently in Burbank. Uh, Kat, you hail from the Koreatown area. I do. And we've both made L.A. our home for some time now, and we found it was time to talk about it through the prism of horror films. That's right. And some of it's been a bit of a challenge, because L.A. lends itself really well to like crime thrillers and noir. But starting with the weather, I'd say, which is what draws a lot of people to this area for various reasons, it's not good horror weather in at least one way. There's not a lot of like stormy nights. Right. And the heat. Tempers run high. When it's hot. Raymond Chandler has a great beginning. I think it's in Red Wind about like when the Santa Anna's come in and uh, housewives start thumbing the blades of their kitchen knives <laughs> and, and like looking at their husband's necks. 
Um, I think you've sent me that quote before. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Briefly, if it's been a while since your last history lesson... In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson purchased the territory of Louisiana from the French government for $15 million. The Louisiana Purchase. Tracks. Uh, It tracks. And it doubled the size of the United States. The Western frontier offered the possibility of independence and upward mobility for all. It's the American dream, right? And to me, a lot of the ugliness about and the underbelly about L.A. and people preying on other people here in various ways, but obviously most specifically murder, is the idea that people have been coming west for a long time Mm -hmm. to look for something to better themselves in some way, whether that's fortune, whether that's fame. Mm -hmm. And there are always people looking to capitalize on that. Or Or because where you're from became a dust bowl. Or that. I just a couple of years ago read The Grapes of Wrath for the first time. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the images that's always burned in my brain is these pamphlets that they would be handed about California and big, beautiful pictures of trees, just orange groves for miles and miles, green, verdant hills. A land of promise. Here. Absolutely. And it wasn't what was promised. And I think that's often true. <laughs> I'd like to, to point out that the tact you've taken, which did not start with the uh, Indians and the Spanish missions and so on is the same as our perspective because we're both transplants. Right. Neither of us is from here. Right. So this is the history via transplants. Thank you for bringing that up because that is very important, obviously. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that this area that we now live in, Marshall, you and I, Uh was historically home to the Shumash and Tongva Native Americans for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles was claimed, this area was claimed by Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo for Spain in 1542. And indeed, California, I mean, where we are right now, was Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a part of Mexico before. Some of the street names still reflect that. Absolutely. Mine is Tajunja. It's Tahunga. So, Los Angeles, with a U.S. Census-estimated 2016 population of 3,976,322. And I keep bumping into the same people. It is the second most populous city in the United States after New York City, of course. Okay. And the city of Los Angeles was incorporated April 4th, 1850, five months before California achieved statehood. So this city was a city before California was a state. Los Angeles is known for its Mediterranean climate, ethnic diversity, and sprawling metropolis. We are a very spread out city. I have a favorite quote about L.A. by William Shakespeare. He said... This other Eden, demi-paradise, this precious stone set in the silver sea, this earth, this realm, this Los Angeles. So there is a man who was a great thinker about Los Angeles and a writer and wasn't from here but ended up moving here and falling in love with the place. It's sunny every day here. Kerry McWilliams is the man's name. He arrived in L.A. in the early 1920s, earned a law degree from USC in 1927, And then he wrote a book that I'd really like to read sometime, Southern California, An Island on the Land. Okay. But Kerry McWilliams said, what America is, California is in accents and italics. In all the world, there never was, nor would there ever be another place like this city of the angels. This strip of coast, this tiny region seems to be looking westward across the Pacific, waiting for the future that one can somehow sense and feel, and see. 
And he also spoke of Southern California as a region geographically attached rather than functionally related to the rest of America. I bring all that up to say, because I know we're here to talk about horror films, yeah. but I think, to me, what, what I kept coming around to is the idea of this underbelly of this idyllic place, this place that people aspire to go to and is an ideal in their minds, but that is not what they think it is when they get here to varying degrees. Life is good in Los Angeles. It's paradise on earth. <laughs> That's what they tell you anyway. There is this dark side and it's not just the entertainment industry, but it's mostly that to me. This dark side of this place that everyone looks to, that the world looks to as kind of this promised land that doesn't always deliver and that people prey yeah. on other people in. While that has been explored in horror films, some crime novels more because of like Raymond Chandler, which you're a lot more familiar with than I am. Yeah. Not um, a big crime novel. James Elroy, uh, James M. Kane, very much a lot of perspective on Los Angeles came from outsiders when movies got sound. The uh, East Coast, the New York playwrights, got brought out en masse to write dialogue for the talkies. <laughs> and a lot of them got put up in nice hotels, a lot in the Garden of Allah, which has its own great history. Where and is that? Is it a hotel? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm just located part of town. On Sunset, it's near where the Crunch Gym is now. Oh. That okay. McDonald's? Yeah. You know, a paved paradise and put up a parking lot? Uh huh. That's the parking lot. Whoa. So, a lot of writers came, and some of them saw that same kind of underbelly you did and said, I'm going to write the ultimate L.A. novel as long as I'm here. And Fitzgerald never completed The Last Tycoon, but you, you can still read it. And Nathaniel West did Day of the Locust, which is a nice, just like, sunny California, dark underbelly, <laughs> which ends with like a riot and a child murder outside of a movie premiere. So check that out. And that leads me to something that I wrote down that I thought was very clever, so I need to get it out. Um, as far as like being conducive to you know horror and what kind of tinge of gothic that we can stir up in, in this such town, a new place. in such a new place, comes from the fact that not every story starts in L.A. Or most stories don't start in L.A., but a whole lot end in L.A. That was really clever. Thank you. <laughs> the, the Black Dahlia, she didn't come from here. Right. Bobby Kennedy met his end here. I don't know where Sharon Tate was from, but even Manson wasn't she from wasn't here. She wasn't from, she yeah. was not from L.A. And on and on. A lot of people from other places come here and die. And they come here looking for promise, hope, fortune, success, fame. Yeah. They come here seeking something. Now, I... It ends horribly <laughs> a lot of the time. About as far back as we can go for that kind of gothic touch. Now, if you were in England and you wanted to um, have some ancient evil or some ghost who's been knocking around for a while, you could go back to like medieval times or the Dark Ages, or some box got buried in the Edwardian era, or 
well, no one's been down here since the German Blitz. And even that would be, you know, old enough uh-huh. to stir up something kind of spooky and old and etc. And while even the East Coast of the United States can have like a better, you know, like Southern Gothic and... Uh, well, like you talked about when we did our um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow episode about how... You know, you had to wait like a generation for the people yeah. to be dead long enough for there to be ghosts. Exactly. And stories. Over here, we really just go back as far to the 20s when we go back for like our ghost stories because the 20s were such a crazy, decadent time. Sure. It lends itself very nicely to um, spirits hanging on to something that's no longer there. Sure. I get that. Well, I think about that character. I mean, I've never done the Queen Mary, like, ghost thing, but there's this character that's, yeah. that a friend of mine played that is always on the um, billboards. She's like a flapper. I mean, yeah. it's a real woman, apparently, who died there. She saw her once when oh, okay. she was playing her. And then you got Peg Entwistle. I, oh, yeah. I, I don't know what decade she was. It was 30s when she died. That she night. jumped off the Hollywood sign. That story's a lot more complicated than you think it is, but yes, ultimately she did. Okay. And... I watched all of American Horror Story Hotel, which in the beginning really utilizes Los Angeles and then kind of sticks to the hotel and then starts getting the flashbacks. Did you watch that season? I didn't. The Lady Gaga character, mm-hmm. she got her start in the 1920s as a girl who's come to be a big star and she was an extra on like The White Sheik and Falls for Valentino and it kind of goes from there using like real people and after Valentino dies, it posits that she was the Lady in Black. Are you familiar? I am. Who visits him every year on his death anniversary? Uh, yeah, a, a woman wearing all black cemetery? in a black veil yeah. will take a single red rose to the grave of Valentino. Right. Does and, that still happen? I don't think so. I think there's been more than one Lady in Black. I feel like nowadays probably a bunch of like hipsters. They might all show up on the same day. There's like 50 women in black. Some people have come forward saying it was them or saying it was their mother. Somebody said that it started with just a photo shoot. But then it kind of picked up. Well, we're talking right now that. about the same era that you yeah, are mentioning, 20s, 30s. Started in the 1920s because just that level of mostly young ladies and young men all just sort of pouring into the city. And those who made it just lived high. And when it comes to ghost stories, eternally chasing a good time can be as damning as eternal sorrow. Sure. You know, at the end of the day. Absolutely. It starts more fun. Yeah. But it quickly just turns into to torment. Absolutely. So, hey, the 1920s, which I want to cap off with something that if we made to the end of this episode and I didn't mention, I would be like, cat, sit back down. We've got to record this factoid, which I know I've told you about before. Oh, I know what you're about to say. Okay. Because you sent me an article about this and it never leaves my brain. Tell it back Ever to me. Ever since I read it, I'll tell it back to you. So... Hopefully I don't get this wrong. I will interject. You sent me this really cool old article about how girls who would come out here from Minnesota and wherever to be in Hollywood. And they would put out advertisements in like the trades. Calling all girls. No, no, no. Opposite. Opposite. Oh. Uh, In in, like Silva Screen, it would say like, young people, don't come to Hollywood. Would they really? We're out of jobs. And like, you know how like the job market then favored men instead of women? Oh, sure. Well, so jobs for women just went like that. So, like, through the 20s and the Depression, the Chamber of Commerce would put out ads saying, like, we're full. But at the same time, you know, the draw of Hollywood, right? And so these girls would come from all over. They would Mm -hmm. take the train all the way to Los Angeles. Been in Hollywood long? Long enough. 
on it. Crash the movies or something? Something like that. I guess that's pretty hard to do. I guess so. I never got close enough to find out. But when they would fall down on their hardest of times, hit rock bottom, they want to go back to Minnesota. And they've used up their getting back money. No more money. All the money is gone. Don't even have train fare. To get back to the farm. And I'm not sure how they were hooked up to do this. Chamber of Commerce. I'm guessing advertisements as well. Uh Uh-huh, yes. Somehow, the Chamber of Commerce. This is the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. So, at the time... And it's tinged with horror. It's so horrific. Because people would come to Los Angeles to die, essentially. Well, as you mentioned, stories start elsewhere. They end in Los Angeles. And for people with tuberculosis, they'd come for the weather. Oh, to take the air. Yeah. Our Mediterranean climate. The dry desert was good for lungers, as they called them. Right. So these lungers had kick the big one or you know however people died and their bodies you know if they're here by themselves now if they have someone with them then that person would hop on a train with the body and head back to minnesota i don't know why minnesota i'm not picking on minnesota somewhere a good train ride away new york akron ohio bodies were not allowed to travel by train unaccompanied and i hope if you're listening you can see where this is going which is that young girls who could not afford the train fare to get back to akron ohio could earn their fare by accompanying a dead body. They'd one match them up with a corpse. One young girl, one dead body, one young girl, and they would ride the lightning all the way to Akron, Ohio with the dead body. I guess it's... Oh, my God. This is real. Yeah. It's like, where are you from there, Missy? Uh, Sarasota, Florida. Well, if someone from Sarasota dies, we can put you on a train back home. It's so All you have to do dark. is, like, be responsible for this dead body. It's so dark and creepy and cool. A personal greeting from Southern California, land of sunshine and happiness. Proudly and happily served by Santa Fe. He thought he was watching her, but she was watching him. All right. When, uh, when choosing... A horror movie that really uses Los Angeles. I know it's more of a thriller, but uh, it certainly has elements of horror in it. Certainly. And it's also De Palma, who is a director that we've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. Who's directed even more more horror-y oh, films, horror. so I think, it, I think it counts. And that movie is Body Double from 1984. In fact, it came out on my birthday. Not just your birthday, but the actual day the actual of your day birth. I came out and screamed into the abyss for the first time. October 26, 1984. This movie is exactly as old as Cat. Brian De Palma, the modern master of suspense, invites you to witness a seduction, a mystery, a murder. Body double. You can't believe everything you see. So, Cat, you've never seen it before. No, spoiler alert. Not for me! Happy to talk about it, saying this with love in my voice. I know a lot of people love it. Not for me. The critics didn't. Now, I'm willing to admit that some of this was probably, if not all of it, purposeful on the part of the filmmaker. But I felt so squidgy watching this guy follow this girl around. And the movie itself felt a little self-indulgent. Oh, sure. I think that was my general feeling. However, I feel like a lot of people have said that about, like, American Psycho, which I absolutely adore and so in I, the I'm book admit, american psycho i know this is 
His favorite movie. Yeah, Patrick Bateman's favorite movie. So I'm willing to admit that maybe there's just something about it that's not clicking with me and that I don't quote unquote get it. And I'm happy to concede that. That might be it. But yeah, I did not love this film. Like, I'm so glad I saw it and I can't wait to talk to you about it. But yeah, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. <laughs> well, let's just go chronologically through it in its opening, which had the most horror tropes in it. I didn't expect to get punched in the face with like creepy font and a graveyard and, and it's a vampire. A graveyard with a setting sun with palm trees in front of it. So like if you need anything that says LA horror right away, that's it. Yep. It's that imagery. And then it goes down to like this hair metal glam rock oh, vampire. God. And, and all, all the credits were like in drippy blood yeah. font. Horror movies set in the film industry, much like any other movie set in the film industry, likes to go for that. Jake. You're watching a scene, and then all of a sudden it's like, cut! Look, Jake, what's the problem here, huh? <laughs> Remember, I want you to open the coffin just a beat after you open your eyes, huh? Hold on. Wait, everything I was watching was actually a movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah Hollywood, you tricked me again. I feel like nearly every, like you're saying, every film that, that is set in L.A. about movie making has that moment. Come on, what's the matter? Speak to me, Vicky. Vicky, Sam, talk. Come on, talk. What's the matter? I don't know. I'm, I don't know what happened. I was just, I was in the coffin. I closed my eyes. I thought everything was going to be okay. I opened my eyes and the camera was right on top of me. And I, I don't know. I, I couldn't move. It's no big thing. I, I just, I just, for a second there, I just, I couldn't move. And in this one, the vampire actor can't, claustrophobic can't in his move. coffin. <laughs> yes. Now, let's let's go into this right away. What gives us that sort of like horror flavor is that it's an updating of two Hitchcock films combined and put it in LA and made it nice and tawdry, which is Vertigo and Rear Window. So instead of having Vertigo, this guy has claustrophobia, which it plays into his own like personal weakness, but it doesn't become part of the overall bad guy's plan. Right. Like a dozen Vertigo. Well, by the way, I've never seen Vertigo, oh. but I have now seen Rear Window. Okay, well, in yeah. Vertigo, it's the same plan as Body Double. He sets up Jimmy Stewart. Hey, spoiler alert, everybody, for not only Body Double, but Vertigo. Yep, yep. Give yourself a couple seconds if you don't want to... Yep. Okay. He sets up Jimmy Stewart to be the witness to his wife's death. Right. When really, it was his wife's murder. Uh-huh. And in Body Double, it's also, it's like, it's a murder, but he's supposed to be from somebody else mm -hmm. it's very but, but same same deal it's all been a setup from the very beginning and then after this woman that he's he's fallen for dies he then finds a woman who looks just like her in vertigo and he like falls for her and he's he like asks her to like dress like the original woman Oof. because it turns out it is the original woman she was hired to like make sure that he was witnessing right now while hitchcock only set like a little part of one movie in LA. He did not make movies about LA. I guess there was something about LA that he didn't find conducive to horror or suspense. Or he just had enough of it in his own life. Sure. I, I don't know. interesting. De Palma does not take that tack. Instead, he takes these two concepts, the rear window, where it was like somebody watching somebody and witnessing a murder, and the idea of the guy who was set up to be a patsy from Jump and then has to later put it together when he finds the body double. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah, I get it. Whereas in Vertigo, it was... God, I hope I'm making sense. Relatively. Vertigo is tough to explain and then to like translate it into another movie. Well, Paul himself has said that's not what he was trying to do, which is 
Well, he did bull it. schnock. Yeah. If you ask me, but whatever. Instead of it just being like a girl who is down on her luck that gets caught up in a murder, uh, like in Vertigo, instead it's a professional porn actress. Holly does Hollywood. He doesn't run into Melanie Griffith on the street. He's uh, really bummed about the murder, so he's just like drinking and watching porn. And he sees Holly Body. Holly Body. That's a good name. Uh, perform the same exact dance. Mm-hmm. And then they cue that, that sexy dance music. To get up next to her, to talk to her, he's got to audition for an adult film. Oh my god. Act in the adult Down film. Down the rabbit hole. Okay, Alice. And in Wonderland. Let's Ugh. keep in mind when this was made for a couple things. So if it came out in 84, it was made in 83. The idea of a porn star and porn being a legitimate business, no longer being something like illegal, mm-hmm. was still relatively new. Holly does Hollywood. Now that you could watch it in the privacy of your own home and not go to a porn theater right. was brand, brand new. Playboy Channel had just come out, for Ooh. example, and so had MTV. So when De Palma takes our actor onto a porn set, which you might have recognized that set. I was too busy texting you going, what the hell am I watching right now? Okay. And it wasn't anything to do with the sex. It was just the, like disco-y 80s nightclub. Everyone's hair and clothing is ridiculous. And I was like, what movie am I watching? With the lead singer from Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It was Sing- like a music, it was a music it was, video. Yeah, it was a music video. Yeah. Which De Palma's like, well, what they were doing at the time is they were taking your movie and recutting it and making a music video out of it to promote the movie on MTV. So I just made the music video in the middle of my movie. Oh, he's so clever. Fun fact, that uh, that crazy nightclub that the adult film was set in with more production value than I think any adult film ever got Yeah. was later reused as the nightclub in Fright Night. I was about to guess that. Wow. Go with your instinct. Weird. I should have. One thing I want to say now that you brought up the porn actors and the porn aspect, what you haven't said is because it was all kind of like new and exciting. Right. He's a struggling actor. Like he's not just an actor. He's an actor who's lost a job on what was already the chintzy horror film, and now he's out of work. And and his girlfriend Barbara Crampton in her first movie role. So she had pre-reanimator. Pre-reanimator. So in reanimator, she got to have lines and put her clothes on. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, love her. She's incredible. But yeah, she's he's cheating on him. In, he sees it happening. But my point is After that going to Tale of the Pup. I did not know that Melanie Griffith took her clothes off and was all nakey nakey, dancing around with her breasts out and her butt. And I was like, whoa, I did not know she ever took all her clothes off. Um, hey. Yeah. But uh, and, I mean, she's got that crazy and 80s hair, but. We may have been desensitized to it, but her speech, like they were going to hire an actual adult actress to play that part. Mm. But the studio like dug their heels in and were like, no. Rightfully, I think. But she was hired as like technical advisor. And so she let De Palma know. No, um, when she's giving her do's and don'ts, that Mm, scene uh where she's like, I will not do S&M, no fisting, I won't shave, no water sports. And the guy is just like taken aback by just like, huh? 
Yeah. It's taken like 30 years for kind of one at a time, each of those things to kind of reach the public and become like absorbed by it. Sure. So at the time, that was just a laundry list of shockers. Wow, I didn't Basically, think about that. One shocker after another to come out of this young Melanie Griffith. And she's Griffith. just saying it so casually. Yeah, she's like, I won't do this, I won't do that. It does seem kind of quaint, because doesn't she say she doesn't do, like, girl-on-girl scenes? Uh-huh. Like, that's one of her rules. Okay, you're giving me some good context, because none of that seemed shocking to me. Like, the things she's describing, I'm like, oh, okay. Did you hear that? That was bad. That was very, very bad. But you mentioned Tale of the Pup, which, uh, so... Oh. I don't know where, where in town that is, but well, I think let me it's important you. that we talk about all of the L.A. landmarks that are in okay, this film. Okay, starting with Tale of the Pup. After he's told to take a week off from the vampire picture. By Dennis Franz. Yes. Who, who plays the director. Who's also the director the in Blowout. Who's like, oh, she's got a terrible scream. I've never seen it. Um, Tale of the Pup, I saw in the movie Volcano and I saw in L.A. Story. And I knew that the lava in Volcano started at the La Brea Tar Pits and headed towards the Beverly Center. And I knew from the movie L.A. Story (laughs) that from the tail of the pup, which is a hot dog stand shaped like a hot dog, that you could see the Hard Rock Cafe, like their guitar, at the Beverly Center. Mm. So what I did was, I was just, I had only been in L.A. for like a month. I passed the La Brea Tar Pits. I'm like, ah, because I would watch movies set in L.A. before moving to Los Angeles and, like, look them up in my Thomas Guide. Oh, my God. So I knew in Volcano, the path of the lava went down Wilshire. And then I found the Beverly Center. And then I found the Hard Rock. And I just sort of, like, drove in a circle, keeping the guitar in view until I found Tale of the Pup. Holy cow. So is it still there? They say it's still intact, like, in storage. Mm. Like, the hot dog of it all. Sure. Anyways, this gal's cheating on him. He goes to uh, Barney's Beanery. Yeah. The original. For a drink. And then the bartender's like, hey, why don't you come over to my place and I'll let you sleep on my couch. And you can see the Capitol Records building out of his window. Yep. And he's at like that hotel that became like the basis for the Tower of Terror. Mm-hmm. And then this guy he keeps running into says, hey, I'm house sitting, but then I've got to leave town for a bit. Maybe you can house sit in my place. He's like, I can't break my commitment to house-sitting. Why don't you take over for me? And the house is one of the craziest L.A. houses. It's called the... Do you have it? The Chemisphere House. The Chemisphere House. It's octagonal. Looks like a UFO. And you get to it by taking a funicular, which is the type of train-slash-pulley system that is Angel's Flight over on Bunker Hill. Yeah. It was designed by John Lautner, the house who apprenticed under Frank Lloyd Wright. But this is an octagonal house on a giant five-foot diameter pole. I mean, it's It's, insane looking. And once you get inside, now I don't know what the real inside looks like, but in this movie it's like, it's a swinging bachelor pad with like a rotating waterbed. God. I mean, it's And and like a great view of, of L.A. And there's a woman across the way who does a little number on herself every night at the exact same time. And if you rewatch it, which by your face, I see you don't plan to. No. You can see the mechanisms really in place for Mm. the overall plan coming out of the bad guy. Which is the guy who put him up in the place. That's the guy. Jake. Like you meet my favorite neighbor. What he thinks he's watching is the woman who lives there. What he's actually watching while she dances around with her clothes off, but a wig on. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell that it's actually, it's actually Melanie Griffith, a.k.a. Holly Body. 
and she does this at the same exact time. It's weird. Every night. And then on the night of the murder, he actually gets a phone call from him being like, hey, buddy, how's it going? How's our special uh, neighbor lady doing? Right. Which is like, hey, man, look out the window. Wants to make sure he's there watching. I need a witness for this murder. It's so convoluted. It really is. And he got a lot of flack, I mean, De Palma, for taking from Hitchcock, Rear Window, and Vertigo. Here's some history. Both of those movies had been taken out of circulation for like 15 years. Almost nobody had been watching them for like 15 years. Maybe in De Palma's head, he was doing the world a service by bringing these plots back into the mainstream because no one was able to watch five Hitchcock films for like 15 years. And it is interesting. It is worth noting because now they're all just are part of the yeah. vernacular and you can watch them anytime you want. But there was a time when you couldn't just turn on the television and rent no, something or stream something. They were just locked up. And so they were leaving the overall language of film when he put them into a modern movie. Yep. Hmm. Ah! Reese, Reese, don't move your hand, Jake. How's it look, Doug? Good, terrific. Hold that move. All right, let's 86 the bat here, all right? That's a wrap on the bat. Get the bat out. Okay, uh, Tim, right, I'm just going to hold the hand really still. Help him out. Help him out with holding the Turn the water. Get the water out. Okay. Can I slip out? So, Marshall, this episode of Boys and Ghouls gave me a chance to finally watch a movie that's been on my list for a couple of years. Okay. And that was 2014's Starry Eyes. Yeah, Starry Eyes, which I didn't know anything about. I hadn't seen a trailer. There was a little write-up that just said, like, is this young actress willing to sell her soul for, like, a chance at a part? And set in 2014, Kat, you're the uh, thespian in the room. Who, I have been occasionally. And you've done the grind. Mm-hmm. You've done the... I also, fun fact, yeah. you probably know this, yeah. I also did a film with one of the actors in this movie. Didn't know that. The creepy casting director woman. Go on. I, I've i met her and we were in a, it was a, I guess it was a short film. I don't know, five or six years ago. Yeah, her name's Maria Olsen. She's from oh, yeah. South Africa. I remember you mentioning her. Yeah. Yeah, both of those casting directors were, were quite creepy. Yeah. But like... You've done the day job, mm-hmm. looking for auditions. The website, was that like Actors Access? Or there's Actors something... Access, there's LA Casting, yeah. Do you have any experience in motion pictures? Oh uh, yeah, quite a bit actually, I have quite a bit of experience. I'm uh, an active uh, renter at Blockbuster. The actress, who plays the actress, is working this day job with always kind of like one hand on her cell phone. The actress's name is Alex Esso, and she plays Sarah. Sarah, mm-hmm. who has to wear, like, spandex at this, um... Oh, God. I forget the name of the restaurant, but it's, like, a Hooters or something like that. Yeah. 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 A tater something taters? Big taters? Something like that. And she has to, like, sing songs when it's someone's birthday and wear the tight clothes, and it's, like, demeaning. Isn't and her, her manager's always, like, off the cell phone, and he's like, where does she hide it? And at one point, like, it rings, and, like, her butt just, like, lights up. <laughs> Would you be willing to cut your hair? Oh. Yes, but um, it's usually better if someone else does it. She goes to this audition, and it's a really strange audition. The casting directors are really odd. Yeah. And she doesn't feel like it goes well. They're they're movie odd, though. Like, I don't think... 
Oh, they're, I thought, kind of, not the Maria Olsen character, but the dude character where he's like, we're a big deal. I was like, okay, that's dumb. And if anyone said that to me in an audition, I'd be like, okay. And I'd walk out of there being like, this project must be garbage because anyone who's actually a big deal doesn't need to tell you they're a big deal. That part rung a little untrue for me. 85% loved this movie, but there was like a 15% where I was like, this isn't believable and this is weird. And not just because I've done the acting thing and been a part of the industry, just because it just human watching a movie thing. I was like, eh. sure. but the important part is they make her feel weird and she goes to the bathroom feeling like she's totally ruined her opportunity at this potentially big role. And she's like self-harming. She's like okay. pulling her hair out. I wanted to ask you, okay, like I know about like cutters. I think that's what this it's, is. It's most, yeah. Something I think it's an like extension that. of that. Okay. I thought you might've had a little more insight than me. I feels like it's a real thing. Oh, sure. I to mean, just violently pull your own hair yeah. when you don't feel that like you've, I don't know, probably to regain control of your life, which is I think there, what if that you can, is. If you can dream up something that someone could do to themselves to punish themselves, I'm sure that someone does it. I'm sure that's a common thing. So, Kat, you know, like, my two main buttons. One is self-harm, self-mutilation. Yep. So, check, because just the noises it makes. Oh, it's awful. It's I'm sure it was just Velcro. Sure. Which, by the way, I watched this with Sumo Dan. And I'm just like, Arr! and he's like, yeah. you know it's just Velcro. <laughs> You're like, doesn't help. And involuntary metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. And after she gets the job, and then some stumbling blocks, brought really more relevant than ever from these last couple months of the uh, Time's Up, Me Too yeah. time. I'm glad you said it. Okay. Because this movie was, I'm yeah. sure, hard to watch at any point in time, but... It, it has it extra relevance Absolutely. now that she passes like two auditions or... And the, the, the second then, of which the callback, meets. they make her take her clothes off. Right, 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 right. Would you be uh, willing to show your naked rear end in a movie? I was not expecting this movie to go... That's part of the reason I liked it as much as I did, is because Act 3 was bonkers. I might need to turn the television off for a while and go sit and look at the sky and breathe this Mediterranean air we have here in Los Angeles and calm myself down, because it got brutal. Yeah, her body starts kind of decaying. <sighs> and it's like, you don't think you could be reborn without dying first? Which we should just briefly say that, of course, the she gets, process she gets the of part. getting cast, it gets a lot more intense than she anticipates. And it, it's made clear to her that if she will give herself sexually to this old producer man, mm -hmm. the man who owns the company, then she hit the part is hers. They did drop a piece of information that I think was a good character choice where she says, I have no family. Yeah. So I think that's part of it, too. She's not a person who has a safety net. She doesn't have parents back in Akron, Ohio, uh -huh. waiting to help her if she falls on her face. She is all she has. She doesn't have plan B, right? And so she's thinking, who am I disappointing? These girls who aren't nice to me? Mm -hmm. Like, all I have is me. And you know what? If it's going to get me where I want to go, then I can get through this. You know? And to me, I could see someone making that decision. And this is the thing that I keep saying about Hollywood and Los Angeles. The promise of that dream that you want so badly and the lengths you're willing to go for it. And this movie shows, I mean, it's on the nose because it's like it's hyperbole, Hollywood, right? And yeah, and it is hyperbole because she goes back to the place. She's kind of on drugs. She makes the decision, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do this. And then it's all kind of a blur and she wakes up in her bed and things go haywire. Her body starts, I mean, her hair is falling out. Her 
fingernails are coming off, and I'm sorry to say that because I know that's your thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you must have had a hard time with that, as did I. Um, and she's just barfing, and it's just awful. I, I had a watching buddy that kind of made sure I wouldn't just like stop it every five seconds to just go, yeah! Uh, yeah, which I was doing on my own. And then ultimately, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this film. Well, ultimately, it, it sort of turned into something that there is a tradition of, but not in really great movies. Which is, like, there's just enough pentagrams in this movie to be, like, Satanists. And there's literally people with, like, cloaked hoods. And the way it ends for her, which is she just, like, becomes their monster. And Mm. she becomes one of them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it really reminded me of those, and I wish I I could express myself better, those sort of wishy-washy endings in foreign horror, not Hammer, but like dubbed Italian or Spanish horror films where it's like, so what happened at the end? Is she one of them? Is she a vampire now? It's like the guys in the cloaks came and then we saw boobs and... It's a very artistic, like impressionistic, kind of like, this is the feeling of what happened to her. Hey, okay, maybe the movie wasn't so great. It can't all be winners. (laughs) Which I personally enjoyed. But I could see it being a pain point for some people where they're like, ah, not really my thing. Yeah. I appreciate that it was bold enough to go there. It's the kind of ending that I've seen on like Elvira's movie Macabre when she'd show like Yeah, I think that's fun. A dubbed devil worship movie. Yeah. Set in a much more familiar, at least to you and I, uh, setting. Right. On the home front. Hidden within each of us is a secret desire to destroy... Each of us would like to be able to become the other being, to know the master makeup artist's magic. How to make a monster. Broadway's stellar performer, Robert H. Harris, brings to this theater the most terrifying of men, a man whose mind is distorted by hatred. Use the very monsters they mock to bring them to an end. Going on the movie industry, uh, behind the scenes, as far as like, you know, murder on a movie studio, how to make a monster. This thing's all on, on I YouTube. Saw, I had that as a, I think maybe it was on my list because you told me to watch it, but I didn't get around to it. On the AIP lot, American International Pictures, they actually use the makeup from Teenage Werewolf and Teenage Frankenstein and then had a story about a special effects monster makeup guy who was losing his job, who then put a special chemical into the mask making mm-hmm. uh, chemicals to put the actors under his spell. To have them go out and commit murders. Cool. Um, out of revenge. Cool. So they brought back the guy who played Teenage Frankenstein, but they couldn't get Michael Landon back to play the guy who was the, uh, the teenage werewolf. But still, uh, great fun. And death following death permeates the very air you breathe with horror. Mr. Monster Maker of Maveland sells his talents to the devil. How to make a monster. A movie is being made. The definitive nightmare. I thought you killed Freddy off. They'd like to see us together again. The horror they could only imagine. What if Freddy is loose in your script? Has become very real. Marshall, you and I have spoken about New Nightmare on this podcast. Yeah. We covered... When did we talk about that movie? I think it just sort of came up. I'm sure it's come up. In relation to Scream, it was Wes Craven's first go at meta, 
which he does, but doesn't really have fun with, I think, in a way that really translated. I, I think he was like, look, it's that actual producer, and he's on screen, and he's saying, Bob you know, Shea. Yeah. Yeah, playing himself. Playing himself, but like in a pre-entourage, mid-Larry Sanders world, I don't think anyone was comfortable enough to play themselves as jerks. I think what you're saying is or he was with, ahead of his time. With a lot of fun. <laughs> Everyone who played themselves was really polite and like coffee. Sure, Heather, why don't you come in here? I know how you take it. Good to see you. Uh huh. Yeah, and, for and, sure. and no one was like chewing someone out on the phone and really just having a meal of it because they're afraid that people think that that's who they actually are. Miss me. The film is about Heather Langenkamp, the star of Nightmare on Elm Street, playing herself, Be- um, being tormented. By a Freddy-like figure in her and her son's dreams. Yes. And there is a scene in the film where she's been called to New Line Cinemas. Um, mm-hmm. Bob Shea wants to meet with her, producer extraordinaire. And she's like, okay. So she checks in at the receptionist desk and she's like, I'm here to see Bob. And the receptionist is like, I'm sorry, who are you? And she's like, Heather Langenkamp. And she starts spelling her name and then... Uh, Sarah Risher, who's also playing herself, another producer, comes yeah. over and takes her away. But that moment, Heather Langenkamp, I saw or heard an interview with her recently where she was like, that was based on something that really happened to her, which is that she would, line? she'd go to New Line and the receptionist girl wouldn't know who she was. And she's like, I wasn't being a bitch about it. But like when the girl would be like, um, can you spell your name? She'd be like, oh, why don't you turn around and look at the poster behind you? <laughs> This is the house that Freddie built. Like, this is New Line Cinemas. Like, how do you not know who I am? Because, like, I'm a part of the movie that made New Line. Like who? Norma Desmond. (laughs) No appointment necessary. But New Nightmare really works for me. And it's one of the movies that was kind of seminal for me as a young person of, like, Uh that blew my mind as far as what a movie could be and do. I was like, wait. Freddy's real? Like, it was scary all over again for me. I know a lot of people don't like um, the new Freddy makeup. I still love I was okay it. I with that. really cool. I just walked away with, and uh, while the concept was a great concept, I walked away with, like, boy, Heather Langenkamp in real life whispers all the time. <laughs> Dylan! From, Dylan, you have to From beginning, to even before, like, scary things even started happening. And But then this time watching it, it wasn't just her. There's just, I don't know, it's a movie full of, like, what do they do in L.A.? They whisper. They whisper and they have a lot of earthquakes. And I'm happy for it as a movie. I think just its appeal, which was, like, its level of, of meta yeah. in horror. There are people playing themselves and they're filmmakers and they have to make, according to Wes Craven in the movie, they have to make another film to trap the monster that is Freddy, because the only way you can trap him is to tell more stories about him or and contain just him in to those stories. complete the screenplay, which seems to be how, how that one worked out. I really did like the scene, just on a legitimate horror movie level, of um, when she's on the, the phone with Robert England and he's like painting, but you can't see what he's painting. And she's like, maybe we should get together. Uh, I'm kind of busy. Maybe tomorrow. And he hangs up and then it, like you get the turnaround of what he's painting and just like these screaming faces with... Freddie. And I bought like every moment of that. And then later, John Saxon plays himself. Yeah. And oh, God, that moment. He's like everybody else who plays himself, and that he's super nice and super supportive of Heather Langenkamp. For sure. But he's more uh, a part of her life than the other 
people who play themselves. Because they have a personal relationship, like that's gone on since the first film. Which yeah, I understand as actors. And then there, there's a moment real quick when he just calls her Nancy. I love that moment so much. And, and then, she's like, "Why are you calling me, Nancy?" That's the second time he puts a little finer point on it. Oh, uh huh. But it's real. It's like, yeah, come outside, Nancy. And she's like, "Okay." She doesn't really quite catch it. And then, yeah, and, and I was like, "Wait a second. I rewound it, and he's like, "Come outside, Nancy." It's so good. And then he says it again, and that's when she goes, "Why are you calling me Nancy?" And John, and he's like, "Why are you calling me John?" Just like like a little bit I'm at a time. Dad. Like all of a sudden, he's like dressed like he was in the movie. She's got gray hair, like in They're the movie. Outside of her old house, a cop car appears out of nowhere that he gets into and drives away in. And it's so cool. Yeah. Ugh, I'm still just mesmerized by that movie. I can recognize its flaws, and I I get that it kind of didn't quite exactly do what it meant to do but to me it's just so well it hadn't been done revolutionary. yet on the level that we're used to now right of things sandwiching back onto itself which would be done by the way by kevin williamson and wes craven yeah <laughs> a little later detectives there's no reason to presume that cotton's death had anything to do with this movie is there he was making a movie called stab he was stabbed when wes craven returns to hollywood for scream three the sense of fun that might have been missing from New Nightmare, oh. which I think was a reaction to the last Nightmare on Elm Street. By the time he got to Freddy's Dead, it was just what, what, wacky Freddy. Yeah. You're not scared of him anymore. And he's scary again in New Nightmare. And he's scary again in New Nightmare, and they take it deadly seriously. And then Scream, he could have fun with it and be meta. But then by Scream 3... But Scream, the original, the is original, scary. Is scary. Right? By 3, it was time to have fun again. Interior Jennifer's house, living room night, the script page. Oh, what's it say? With the bodyguard stabbed to death, the five stand trapped. He's, he's rewriting the movie. As the killer waits outside, oh. suddenly the fax machine sends news to their face. It's a trap! Everybody outside! Outside where he can pick us off one by one? The killer prepares to grant mercy to only one you of them. Get it? The killer says he's outside because he wants us here inside. Which one is it? Come on! And now they, have a lot now they of got fun. the cameos. Maybe you need to pull back a little. <laughs> it's like when Carrie Fisher had the cameo of a woman who looks just like Carrie Fisher. You're like, okay. Then when Jay and Silent Bob show up, yeah, you're like, oh, you're you're here to have fun now. Yes. This is a work of art. Thank you very much. No, I'm serious. This is a very important film. This is the kind of property I'm going to be proud to put my name on. Are you writing this down, Ed? It's a good script, Sam. Don't you think so, Byron? I'm not making any more films, Marshall. What? What, Byron? I'm retiring. Another movie that I'd been putting off for a long time since hearing about it. I guess just its title didn't appeal to me. Um, Targets. Targets, a movie about a war inside a man's head. Which is Peter Bogdanovich's, I think, first movie. It was made for Corman. And they had Boris Karloff under contract for like two days as part of like an extension of, I believe, the terror. Like, we got two more days with Karloff. He's locked in for us. What are you going to put him in? And Bogdanovich really didn't want to stick him in a castle. 
So he came up with this story of basically Boris Karloff as like this aging horror icon who doesn't feel he can hack it with like the kids anymore. Look around you. The world belongs to the young. Make way for them. Let them have it. Who feels that the real terrors of the world are like the mass shootings. 1968. This was pre-Manson, but post like Texas Tower shooting. Mid-Vietnam. This is where our world is at. So he's like taking himself out of the biz. It's Boris Karloff as basically Boris Karloff. Okay. Meanwhile, there's this young man who keeps buying guns. I'll take it. Always wanted a gun like this. It's a beauty. And he goes home to his wife. He lives with his parents. There's like a picture on the wall of him in Vietnam. And that's all that's ever mentioned about Vietnam. But he starts kind of like just behaving. He's just like sitting up in the dark smoking, you know. Mm -hmm. And he lives in Reseda. So just going on L.A., you get like a nice look at like the valley of the time. And he just goes to a oil tank, one of the big oil tanks, next to a freeway and just starts picking off people with a rifle. And gets chased by the cops and hides in a drive-in where that night Karloff is going to make a personal appearance. And he gets into the screen, like behind the screen, and just starts shooting people in their cars. And then every time someone would open up their car door, it would turn on their lights. And he'd pick them off. And people start leaving, and Karloff's like sitting in his car. I'm going to take you all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. He's sitting in his car, and he thinks people are just leaving his movie. Meanwhile, they're playing The Terror, which was a train wreck in real life and probably in that film up on the screen and he gets out with his personal assistant his personal assistant she gets shot and he thinks he can see it like and he's literally got a cane because at the time Carl's legs weren't great and he starts advancing on the guy and the guy freaks out because he sees Karloff coming at him and then he sees Karloff on the screen and he starts shooting at the screen oh my god and Karloff just like hits him with his cane and just starts slapping him (gasps) Just slaps him around, and the guy just curls up into a ball. And is like, and then Karloff looks at him and then just goes, this is what I've been afraid of. Like the the world he doesn't understand. The world has changed so much. He looks out his window at Los Angeles, and he's like, this town has gotten so ugly. And... I've um, never heard of this movie, and I can't believe... Yeah. I can't believe this exists. It's always existed. Oh my our whole well, since life. Since 1968. Yes, well, both of our lives. For our entire lives, this movie's been out there. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I am putting this on. And my I'm, watch I'm sort of list. sorry I took you all the way to the end because it's no, a hell of a thing, okay. but it had to come out. Wow. And the fact that you only got them for like two days sure. is pretty remarkable. And you can see like the tricks. Well, I'm just, I can't. I Wow. I'm adding this to my watch list right now. Holy cow. Yeah. And uh, apparently, Reseda used to have a drive in. You got to go to the uh, like the Inland Empire now to go to a drive-in. Enjoy your evening to the fullest. How about some snowy, crisp, and crunchy popcorn? That's a fine way to relax. Just sit and munch contentedly while you enjoy the show. Bring enough popcorn back for the whole family. Everyone likes popcorn. Stop staring. You're missing a movie. Was it my idea to watch Maniac? Yeah. Uh, from 2012? Probably. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure that wasn't your idea. So it was one of the first things I thought of was the Elijah Wood starring remake of the 1980 
film Maniac because I had started watching it a few years ago and couldn't finish it because it just freaked uh, out. Yeah, but like in a good way. Uh, the, the, uh yes and no. Or I mean, like you didn't stop watching it because you're like you've had enough. Like you didn't like it. I stopped watching it because it was just hard to watch. Okay. But because we were going to touch on L.A. horror, I was like, okay, this is a good time to finish this movie because I remembered that it was set in, like, downtown L.A. And I was like, okay. So first, though, I watched the 1980 Maniac, which mm -hmm. I actually enjoyed more. But that's set in New York City. You can lock your doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. Maniac. No one under 17 admitted so I'm not sure now that I've watched both of the films, what makes the 2012 Maniac like super duper Los Angeles other than it's set in LA because the element of like modeling and like art mm -hmm. is already there in the original film. Yeah. And it's mannequins. There. And mannequins. Which I think just like the LA new wave, there was just a lot of mannequins and neon. Mm-hmm. But uh, coming to L.A., I just thought there'd be more parties that featured mannequins. <laughs> and, and when I, I finally went to a Christmas party that had like a half a mannequin with a bunch of Christmas lights on it, I got my picture taken with it. Because you're like, this is the L.A. I know. Yeah, just, just like I thought I'd be spending a lot more time in infinity pools. Sure. The poor dope. He always wanted a pool. But Maniac in both films, it's about a guy who has mommy issues, which they take to a really gross place in the 2012 film. Yeah, they his, really his mother was there. like a prostitute. Ugh. And like he watched her have sex and it's really bad. But the way that he's sort of like stuffed that all down and like the way it manifests itself is he murders women and scalps them. And, and then puts, puts the scalps, scalps on. onto mannequins. And he's not a taxidermist like Norman Bates because... No. These scalps start attracting, like, bugs. Ugh. And he's always, like, spraying them with bug spray. It is a really gross movie. Probably, to me, the biggest reason is because they chose to shoot nearly all of the stuff with Elijah Wood. He's barely in the movie. It's all in first-person POV. Do you know why they did that? I think... I mean, one, it's a gimmick. It makes you, it's a gimmick, but it makes you really uncomfortable because you're the killer. That's true. I was just thinking about, like, if you had to light a killer as he walked down the street... Like, light the person. Sure. Then that would take, like, a whole big crew. But if you just wanted to walk down the street with a camera and then just add Elijah Woods breathing and, like... I have a feeling that was ...muttering to himself, why. then you could get a lot of a city mm -hmm. quickly and cheaply. I don't think that was the reason why. No. I'm sure that was a, a consequence of it, but I think the choice to make it first-person POV was very specifically to make the audience very uncomfortable. They wanted to make it gritty and real and... The original film is great. And, and, and just side with the killer. You know, at least this time. I don't think they want you to side with the killer, though. Like, I think that this movie is dirty and mean. I'm not saying I didn't think it was well done. I just think that I don't think it's meant to be enjoyable at all. And it isn't enjoyable. It makes you feel gross because you are the predator and you're just on top of these women. It's just awful. Get away from me! The other thing I thought about when I was watching, especially the scene with the girl in the parking lot, my brain could make the apology for that scene where she's screaming bloody murder and no one's there to help because her. Because downtown is rather... It's pretty desolate. It's been getting built up like the longer that we've lived here. Right. But, but you or I could make the leap and go, well, there's often There's a lot of empty around. spaces. 
But I wonder if someone from like Nebraska is watching this, not understanding this is a city. Where is everyone? Yeah. Or if I'm just thinking through it too much because there are plenty of scenes in movies where people are in the middle of a city and screaming and no one helps. But I did. There's have a lot of like dead space. Right. In downtown LA. Yes. And to me, that is a feature of the city that is on display there. But I wonder if that's picked up by people who don't live in LA. There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. I guess I was watching it through the lens of like, okay, how is this Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was super dripping in LA other than I think the aspects we're talking about where like downtown is pretty deserted and yes, mannequins and art and downtown. And it it did show like homeless and tense. Yeah, which I, was I haven't what seen they were in many movies. To get at with that, I think it's just like here's I mean, where it they is are. Downtown, you do see that, and more lately. For I'm sure. not saying a homeless person in a tent is new, but the, the volume, the volume of it's bad right tents mm-hmm. is a newer thing. And I also imagine if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to feature downtown Los Angeles and the sheer volume of people living on the streets and those tents, and if you're driving down the street trying to get like establishing shots, it is striking. And why wouldn't you capture that? When you got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Downtown Los Angeles. And then we went outside of the Oviat, which was also used as the entrance to the hotel in American Horror Story Hotel. Yeah. Then you got in like that classic car and you drove off. Yeah. And, we're all, and yeah. basically, I guess he was hired to like drive you around for like half an hour or something. It was 20 minutes or so. And then we circled back to the hotel. Okay. You it guys. Was a good 20 minutes. You guys took off. And I'm like, they're just headed towards Tent City. Like it was... Him and no, his tux, we and in... you in your gown, sitting on the back of a convertible, oh just driving off into Tent City. I didn't even think about that. He took some turns, and we were not in weird places. But I was um, just wondering very where you... easily we could have ended up in. I mean, it's very easy to do that downtown. I was wondering where your first red light was going to come. We were just like, "Hey, everybody!" That's so funny. I didn't even think about that because I was too busy like being just married. Yeah. And also, it was a Friday night, so there were a lot of people walking around like screaming and yelling at us and like waving like congratulations, which was nice. Yeah. But I guess the guy, I mean, it was a friend of my dad's who my dad had gotten to do it as a surprise. Okay. I guess he was familiar enough with downtown that he didn't take any wrong turns. He just kind of All looked right. us around a few times. You came good, back again for like, like a drive-by. You're like, yeah. I was like, okay, so far so good. So far so alive. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. How far did you say we're going? Los Angeles. L.A.? L.A. is good enough for me, mister. So you're a private detective. I didn't know they existed except in books. Now let's see you do something really tough. Like putting your pants on. There's bad and there's bad. But what I walked into after I left that night made all the magic and witchcraft I'd seen up to then look like a sideshow. My name's Lovecraft, and I'm the guy who knows. Just about the only guy who knows it all. And you're still breathing. It started that night, and it started with a woman always starts with a woman and then one of my favorite movies ever ever was just an hbo movie set in los angeles 1948 everyone uses magic magic gives me the shakes which you can buy in this town well they said it'd make things easier and it has and that's cast a deadly spell with fred ward and it came out after who framed roger rabbit but before i ever saw chinatown So, I thought it was just fantastic. And what year did that come out again? 91. Okay. Which, I've seen this film. Yeah. I watched it. Which episode did we? Our Lovecraft episode. Lovecraft, that's right. Because it's Detective H.P. Lovecraft. That's right. There are a lot of Lovecraft references. Yeah, I was watching Um, some of it today. 
And it's like the Dunwich Club. Yeah. It's like the nightclub that he goes it's to. It's all and... chock full. I heard something about you at the club. Such as? You don't use magic. You heard right. How do you expect to get out of dumps like this if you don't start playing the game? Julian Moore is like the dame. Mm -hmm. Clancy Brown is the gangster. And everyone uses magic. It's, it's like, a really cool movie. There's a lot of Lovecraftian things. Isn't there like a monster in the end or something? Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's looking for the Necronomicon, oh, right. which is going to bring up one of the old ones. Have you heard of the old ones? The Outsiders? Yug Sothoth? Cthulhu? They're out there, Seamus. They've always been out there, waiting for someone to unlock the door. It's in the book, all right here. Promise, power, and price. But um, L.A. doesn't lend itself well to straight horror, we've learned. But it does lend itself great to noir. Yep. And this is noir horror. And it is super duper fun, if you ask me. I agree. Someone's throwing lesser demons at you. Black magic from the pit of Asagoth and you don't even carry a rabbit's foot. I can handle it. And I guess just a lot for me, like the most of the L.A. private dick that I'd ever seen was Bob Hoskins in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then this thing came along and not only gave me monsters and runes that would summon a demon and things like that, but it also just gave me more noir detective. Yeah. All the noir detective I could ever want. I wanted to apologize for slapping you yesterday. I don't apologize for slapping or not putting on your brass knuckles first. I'm serious. And why are you wearing that hat? And then a few years later, I saw Double Indemnity and I saw Chinatown. And I was just like, gong, 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 gong. <laughs> but this was just a great mile marker along the way. And it is something that couldn't have been made anywhere else but Los Angeles. We're done. I mean, except for the million other rabbit holes I have to go down as a result of doing research for this episode. By which you mean that, like, you researched this episode and now you've discovered things that you're like, well, now I have to pursue Yes, that. in the parlance of Marshall Hicks, oh. like, often when we're recording, you'll say, put a pin in that. And then you'll like, we don't have time for that. And so let's just talk about this other thing. I had to put a pin in so many different tracks because I was like, okay, this isn't fully relevant, but there is just a plethora. Even though things. you are no longer researching for a podcast, you're still going to go back and check out all this, like, what, L.A. architecture? Certain movies? Sure, L.A. architecture, certain movies. I'm going to check even out... Even ones that aren't horror that came from that Los Angeles Plays Itself documentary where it's like, oh yeah. my God, like... That showed a thing called Messiah of Evil. Yeah, which seems the to gas just like, station and the yeah. time capsule that is the gas station on film because the gas stations and grocery stores tend to change so much. You yeah, can really tell it's like the a, a woman being a pursued at night in Los Angeles, oh just my like God. all these different like a Ralph's. Yeah. Even though now we've done the podcast, I'm still gonna like go and watch that. Yeah. I found a thing on YouTube that said like it doesn't exist anymore. I think it was what it was called, and it's all stuff in LA that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that makes me feel depressed and interested all at the same time. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna watch that, even though I've got a podcast to edit. 
And folks, I hope uh, some of the titles that we've mentioned have inspired you one way or another to uh, check out or avoid something. That's its own service. Sure, definitely. To uh, to steer people away from something that they wouldn't be into. So, yeah, folks, I hope you uh, found some good things to watch or not. In our episode about this fair city of ours, that's this strange island on land that is this odd place that people come to from all over that is still rich in its indigenous culture and that has great food and, you know, superficial Fine values in certain corners, but also really awesome stuff. And it's not a cliche like you see on television and we don't all dress like Kardashians. LA is a really interesting, diverse place with all kinds of cool stuff and a lot of these movies are a really fun way to explore different parts of it yeah and there's just a lot here mm -hmm. i've been here for a while and i'm still finding stuff oh yeah and not just horror stuff and the macabre but that too but it's like oh there's an octagonal house on a giant pole that someone lives in yeah what? and there's also the roseball parade yeah and one of the things I really liked about the first episode of the American Horror Story Hotel was the two vampires go out at night for the hunt. And it shows them walking through a graveyard. So I'm like, okay, vampires in a graveyard. I've seen this before. And then it does a reverse shot. And what they're actually at is the Hollywood Forever hmm. graveyard screening. So I'm like, oh, perfect. Because it's not only like, oh, what a twist. But it's also something that, like, as far as I know, only takes place in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's somewhere. Maybe somewhere. I mean, done. outdoor screenings is becoming a bigger thing, mm -hmm. as, you know. But um, L.A. doesn't have any of those screenings on the lake. Right. You know, where they, like, put a floating <laughs> screen out in the lake. Yeah. But we do have movie screenings in a cemetery. Right. We're just kooky enough here in the City of Angels to See do a movie something like that. Under the stars, over the stars. <laughs> wow. But you know what? We're not the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. We don't have to sell this town. There's plenty of movies selling this town for us. So uh, give it a visit. Say hey to people you see. <laughs> and uh, as a warning, cat. Beware the moon. Beware the moon. Beware.